So the last couple of years, what we have been doing was focusing on very specific things from sermons on training up our children to various issues that are going on within families among brothers and sisters in Christ. This year, we're kind of going to go back to the basics. We are going to look at, at scriptures that deal basically with what can be pleasing to God. So we're talking about God's plan for the home. And what we're going to be doing is this morning, we'll be looking at, you know, what are some things that primarily help us to focus on God? Because that's going to be the foundation for the responsibilities we have as husbands, as wives, as parents, as children. And as we look at the relationship between the congregation that we have here with families and vice versa. And so that'll take us with five weeks that we're going to be doing this. Um, and I should be here, I think, in a couple of weeks. We're going to, I'm going to go with Paul and Jada to Mexico. We're going to try and help with the work that's going on there, um, get it going, uh, or help the brethren that are there in a small part of, just small congregation, I would say, in Mexico City. Um, and then in, believe it or not, in September, I'm going to go where uh, Dan's father is an elder, Ben Allen. It's Greenwood, isn't it? Greenwood. Greenwood in outside of Indianapolis area in Indiana, and they were asking me to do the family. So the timing is, is uncanny. Um, but with that, and then I think I'm going to go on to Kentucky for another meeting. Um, I th- oh, for, what is his name, Phil, that's over there? Used to worship over here. Todd Sullivan, is it? Okay. So we have some opportunities to, to be preaching in the area, but these next few weeks, other than some um, in and out and not being here, we're going to be dealing with the subject matter of the family. I want to turn this off since it's, well, I don't know if you can go to the next slide and put it on blank or whatever, Brad. I don't want to see the white screen. <laughs> I want to start with the whole concept that if we're going to be pleasing to God, we have to realize and see a picture of where we are as a society in this country so that we can see the contrast. I've heard from time to time that, you know, when we go out and evangelize, I've heard it with my own ears among brethren. Hey, you know what? That person would make a great Christian because they're so morally upright. The whole idea of being a Christian is to be transformed, to go from darkness to light. And some would say, yeah, but these are good morally upright people. They're good already. The Bible says specifically there's none good. We may be morally upright compared to one another, but before our God, we're bankrupt. And when we look at the family, that's what we're seeing. And, and it's easier and easier as our society and our modern history seems to go down further and further in, in the way of degradation. It's easier to see God's plan for the home. And my prayer is that not only we as brothers and sisters in Christ get to um, hear these sermons, but I hope that when you're talking to families in our community, that you share these following sermons with them because this will give them the basics teaching the gospel within the life of the family. And that's what we're looking at this morning when we talk about going to our God first. If you make the contrast, look at what's going on with our families today. We have marital infidelity that is very rampant. From various researches that have been done from the Barna Group and what have you, studies that 
husbands and wives have anonymously shared of being guilty of sexual morality, of adultery, of being unfaithful to my spouse. It is also abundantly clear we are growing up without training our children with discipline because children seem to be very, very wild. And, and I've heard it said from generation to generation, our children are wild. They always hear that. But the evidence is very clearly open. When I was in Georgia preaching there, one of the women that I built a website for, she's um, a psychologist. She worked with the Rockdale County. And I don't know if you remember about Rockdale County and the shooting that was going on there in Georgia. After Columbine was Rockdale. She was one of the expert witnesses. Her name is Joyce Devigny. And she shared with me the things that are going on at the middle school level because we have latchkey children. What I mean by that is you have children whose parents are working, and so the children are home, unattended with adult supervision. And if your, main, if your mind, and I don't want your mind to be this way, but I'm just sharing you the reality of what's going on. If your mind went down the road of sin, all kinds of things, from drugs to sexual morality, middle school, sixth grade, We have disrespect between spouses, between parent and children that is very clearly seen. You can go to the grocery store, the mall. You can see it in the day-to-day activities when we visit each other's homes. It's abundant, the things that are going on. This morning, Ben and Brad were praying, and in the midst of their prayer, dealing with materialism. It's gross and rampant in our country. And it affects us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I share all of these things because it's a totality of these things that tells us about who we are as a people. And in Proverbs chapter 14, when you look at the passage here, it tells us that, that righteousness exalts a nation. And sin is a reproach to any people. I think it's Proverbs 14 verse 34. And so when you're looking at, at this text and you're seeing what's going on in any country, let alone ours, any society, you're going to see a fundamental change in the family unit. When you see a society that exemplifies righteousness, and, and I'm not talking about it from a standpoint of being sinless, but I'm talking about people whose eye is set on God as a whole, So whether it's a small community, whether it's a regional area, or whether it's a nation as a whole, you will see the family unit. And the family unit will generally look like love, respect, discipline, productive, or in one short term, healthy. And the flip side is true where you see unfaithfulness and disrespect and discord and strife. When you see greed, you'll see sin. And you'll see it in the community. You'll see it as a nation. What happens? Parents, grandparents, you remember these days just one generation ago 
when children would just go easily out into our neighborhoods. I remember as a kid being 10, 11 years old, driving my bike five, six miles to the next town. And today we don't even let our children go past our subdivision, let alone our block for some of us. Very different world that we live in. And you look at the corresponding ways of not only raising children, but just the family unit as a whole. What was called the traditional family doesn't seem to exist as the standard in our society. In fact, I've never seen the show before, and I had to do research on it, and I still haven't seen it. I was intending to actually watch a few episodes, um, then I decided not to. It's called The Modern Family. Some of you are shaking your head. <laughs> you know that, that show. It's a sitcom, if I'm not mistaken. And The Modern Family was looking at various family situations where there's homosexual couples, you have the traditional couple, and then you got some with issues. I, I heard in the um, explanation of the show is that the father's not the smartest or the sharpest knife in the drawer, if I can use that <laughs> expression. Very common in our society today in expressing the modern family. So if you look at that scripture, that righteousness exalts a nation, that sin is a reproach to any people, and you combine it with the modern idiom that we have in this country, that as the family goes, so goes society. That's what we're seeing. And what I want us to do is look at the scriptures from a standpoint that if we're going to be the kinds of husbands and wives and parents and children that we need to be, we've got to look upward to our God first and foremost. And he has to be first and foremost in our life. And here's the reason why. When you go to Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 2, when you read these first two chapters in the Bible, you're seeing the gospel, by the way. But you're seeing the gospel in, the light, in light of the fact that God creates everything and his crowning glory of his creation is found in making man and woman. That's what you read in the first few verses of Genesis 2. And then you see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, 11, 12, following all three through uh, verse 15, where God gives man a secure place to live. That's what the word garden means, by the way. And in this secure place to live, he has man to tend and keep the garden and to take dominion over all the animals and over all that God had created. And within that framework, he gives man a woman. And they would coexist as husband and wife before God. That's the ideal situation that is given here. Of course, we know after reading Genesis chapter 3, there's sin that enters into this world. But on the heels of Genesis chapter 3 with sin, God gives, and it is vague, but it is implied. God gives man forgiveness of sins. When, when we have the sacrifice of Cain and Abel, I believe it is the result, because where the shedding of blood is, and that life is in this blood is for the forgiveness of sins. And so we have the sacrifice that we can read of in Genesis chapter 4 with, with uh, Abel's sacrifice. And we see the righteousness of Abel. We can read it in Hebrews 11. We can read it in, in 2 Peter. But the thing is that in these first four chapters, you have a picture of man with woman in this family unit relationship. We see sin coming in, we see the forgiveness of sins, and therein lies is this gospel picture of what God has intended for man to come back to the very beginning. When you fast forward through the scriptures in the Old Testament, and you get to the book of Leviticus, particularly Leviticus chapter 19, 
You have Israel on the brink of, of leaving from where they've been camped in Sinai. And they're going to be beginning their 39 more years. They've already been in the wilderness one year. And he gives them this law about loving their God with all their heart, soul, and mind and loving their neighbor. It is not as clear in Leviticus 19 as it is in Deuteronomy chapters 5 and 6. By the time you get to chapter 6 in Deuteronomy, it is very clear. It is explicitly clear in what we now call the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Hear, O Israel, our Lord, the Lord is one. Right? And then he begins by stating in verse 5 of, of Deuteronomy 6 that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and might. That was the very beginning. And he says, now you teach this to your children. You put it on the doorpost, on that doorframe, on the frontlets of your eyes. You wear it on the tassels of your garments that you have. And that, that's not in Deuteronomy 6. It's later on. Uh, or I should say earlier in Numbers that you read that. But the point is, it's every part of your life that God is on your mind. He is first and foremost. And then with that in mind, you go throughout the remainder of the Old Testament and particularly in the New Testament. And what is the very beginning of all the law and prophets? You read that in Matthew chapter 22. In fact, go to Matthew chapter 22. Remember the lawyer is asking Jesus, what is the great law? And he says, well, what's your reading of it? And then the lawyer says, or Jesus, when asked the question, he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? And in verse 38, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang the law and prophets. That's the very beginning of any relationship that we're going to have with God. And it's also the very beginning of any relationship you should have with one another. Because that relationship is based upon the very will of God. It is fundamental to everything that we are doing. So as we look at this royal law, in fact, I, I remember a preacher asking the question last week. One of the preachers was asking, and I, I forget who it was in this congregation I was, I was reflecting it onto. I said, um, or he was asking, what is the scripture in the New Testament that looks back to the Old Testament more quoted more times than any other? And it was this that we're talking about. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Loving your neighbor as yourself. In one of those two forms, in the first form, the second form, or a combination of both. And you read it all throughout the New Testament. That's what we need to have if we're going to have God's plan within each and every one of our homes. He has got to be first. Not in tongue, not in our Bible studies, but in everyday living. And when we do this, it'll look very clearly different. And I'm not just talking about where you get together and you have a family Bible study. That's wonderful. When you pray together, that's wonderful. All those things are, are good and needed for us. But it's just the day, the small moments in our days. When you're driving to school, taking your children to school, or you're going to work, and, and you're having family conversations, or you're by yourself. In every situation, you have those small moments you can talk to your children, you can talk to your spouse. You can use it as a time of prayer. All of those things will show that God is first and foremost in our life. So with that in mind, what we're going to do for the remainder of this morning is look at Ephesians 5 that was in our scripture reading. That made it <laughs> to the PowerPoint. Um, we're going to look at that and we're going to see some general things that will lead us into next week, which next week we're going to look at the husband-wife relationship. But I want you to see what's being said here. 
Because what I'm going to read, every time I say it, and not especially among brethren, although it seems to be more sensitive, but especially with people in, in the world, every time I read a passage like Ephesians 5, verse 22 following, I feel like I'm a male chauvinist. You know why? Let's read. This is God's word that we're reading, brethren. I want you to listen to it. And God is no male chauvinist. He loves women. Everybody loves men. We are one in Jesus Christ. There is no inferiority or no superiority in Christ. We're one. But we do have God-given responsibilities within the husband-wife relationship, within the parent-child relationship that seems to be ignored, looked down upon, and ridiculed in the modern society that we live in. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You see what I'm saying? For the husband is head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands. Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I don't think anyone has too much of a problem with husbands loving your wives, but there is a problem with men and with women, with husbands and with wives in the first part. This just doesn't sit well in our modern society. The movement that we have today is that, well, men and women are equal. They've always been equal. We've always had equality in Christ. It's the inequality that we have when we abuse this passage of Scripture. It's the inequality that we have when our pride as men puffs up and we want to lord it over our wives. It comes with the feminist movement that takes away the role that is given to the husband to lead. But it's explicit in Scripture, brethren. And if God comes first, we look at a passage like this and we say amen, not in word only, but in application. It's because we have a lack of teaching on this, because we have a lack of application on this, that we're seeing fatherless homes. It's because of a lack of application on this, we see leadership-less homes by fathers, by husbands. 
And frankly, some young men, and for that matter, maybe some older men, are afraid to lead because it looks like I'm taking over and lording over. And again, we go from one extreme to the other. We do nothing or we lord it over and we become dictators rather than sacrificial leaders for our families. But if God is going to be first, we look at a passage like this and we apply it. We practice it. And we go further in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. And every parent and child needs to have this memorized as well as Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. That we know the responsibilities that we have within the family as well. Look at what it says here in chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And he says, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but train them up in the teaching and admonition of the Lord. This is a teaching from 2,000 years ago that is every bit valid today. Now imagine, brethren, when, when we start looking at God's word, we see that he is first and foremost in his life. And yes, I'm saying that knowing that we have our weaknesses. Whether it's going to be pride, whether it's going to be anger, whether it's going to be, you know what, I don't, I don't have leadership um, qualities. I'm a one-talent leader versus a five- or ten-talent leader. Whatever the situation is, we still look at God's word. But because he is first, with what God has given to me, in my case, as a male, as a husband, and as a father, knowing that I have my sins and my flaws, my weaknesses, I'm going to fulfill his word to the very best of my ability because I love him with all my heart. When that happens, brethren, your family begins to change. Begins to change doesn't mean that as a family unit it does because I guarantee you, those of us who have been parents for any length of period, particularly as our children get older, I've heard it said so many times, you know, okay, let me back up. Kirkwood, Missouri. I remember when Julie and I had our first child. <laughs> well, wait till she gets to be two years old, the terrible twos. And then we moved to Georgia. We heard the same thing. Well, wait till they get to be five or six when they really start their independence. And then we have five or six-year-olds, and by then we have three children. And then, well, wait till they become teenagers. Then you really... <laughs> well, now we have seven children <laughs> from 21 down to two. And, well, wait till then they're getting out on their own. We're on the brink. <laughs> During those years, while preaching the gospel, while giving series on the family, I have learned so much by experience of applying God's word. God's word was always true. Whether I was single, never had children, like Jesus would teach or the apostle Paul would teach, the truth is still there. But the application for, as far as being a husband, as far as being a wife, I have so much more to grow, so much more to learn. I see my mistakes as a parent and as a husband much more clearly as each year passes by. I see my inadequacies. 
but that does not relieve me from shirking my responsibility to continue to grow as a husband and as a father. The same for my wife, for her to grow as a wife and as a mother, for our children to grow as children before their parents. That's how this picture is reflected within the church. Do you not see the gospel in all of this, brethren? When Jesus is saying, I speak this as a great mystery to you, I'm not talking about necessarily the husband-wife relationship. I'm just using the husband and wife relationship to teach about the church. I'm talking about, or as Paul is saying, about what the picture of God's family is supposed to look like. And he illustrates it within the husband-wife context, within the parent-child context. And that picture can be found from the very beginning in Genesis. When you read the Old and New Testament, brethren, when you read it from a gospel standpoint, a gospel viewpoint, in other words, the good news, salvation, and the relationship that we have with our God, and the relationship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ to one another, you'll see it expounded upon through the family. And it's through the family that when a family is one and all striving together to seek God, huge impact in the way the family exists. We have heard it said that you're only as strong as the weakest link. I'm telling you, families get weak very quickly just by one person. It can happen. It weakens the whole family. I'm not saying that for discouragement. I'm saying that for reality, which all the more brings us to looking upward to heaven, to getting on our knees and praying to God to bless us in our relationship with him individually as well as collectively in the family. So as we go through these next few weeks, I want you to begin reading these passages, and I'll have the articles that I'll be writing that will coincide but we'll have passages for the following weeks as well. I want you to look at passages like Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6 with the husband-wife, parent-child relationship. I want you to read it over and over, not just from the standpoint of reading words, but from seeing what can I do where I'm at right now. Some of us, we're not yet married. We're single. We're young. I know that my sons don't want to think about if they would ever be married. <laughs> That's the last thing on their minds. My daughters are at the point in their life where they may be looking to be married at some point. I mean, we all as parents go through these different stages, right? And then we get out and we actually get married for some of us. Now what? What happens when our children are grown and out of the home? And we become, you know, empty nesters. What then? Or what happens when our children have their children? You know, what are our roles and responsibilities? These are the things that we'll be looking at over the next five weeks. So I pray that, that you'll use this time for study, use this time for prayer, use this time for self-reflection, use this time to recommit as a husband, as a wife, or a potential husband or potential wife, as grandparents in raising your children or grandchildren, and there is still a raising ability that we can see in Scripture, in some sense of the word. We'll look at all these things, but use this time, brethren, for this cause. This was requested about three years ago by our elders, that we have yearly studies on this. That's how important this subject matter is to our elders as leaders of the flock here. Make it every bit as important to you as well. 
Now, with regard to the gospel, remember I was mentioning here the, the, the family unit is reflective of the church. Here's how the gospel comes in. We are told in Ephesians chapter 2, same book, that we were once foreigners and strangers, but now as children of God, we're in the family, the household of God. Think about it. The way that that happened was that while we were dead in the trespass of our sins, Jesus Christ died for us. And he's called us to him so that we can be followers of him and we can be children of God and come into his kingdom, into his family. Now, if you want in in the family and the household of God, God's got to be first. And the way God is first is by you submitting yourself to him.